Three, two, and one. Welcome to Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers, and we're honored to be joined today by Lee Lopes. We'll hear it from in just a moment, but we're going to start with talking about a really special event that's about a month away. It's our Mental Health Matters virtual event. And we are so excited to be joined by Bob Sosi, who's the voice of the New England Patriots, who's going to be the host of this event. We're going to bring uh, four or five panelists as well who are going to discuss their real-life circumstances surrounding uh, mental health. And, and Peter, this is going to be a really special event for May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we know that the pandemic has increased uh, a lot of the stress and a lot of the challenges surrounding individuals who have mental illness and has put a strain on all of our mental health. So I think that this year's event is going to be uh, even more poignant and significant than usual. Hi, Chris. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's really important. I think in the wake of the pandemic, it's clear that every month should be Mental Health Month. And there's a there's a strange positive thing happening about this in many ways. And that is that for years and years, and you and I have been talking about this for years, that mental health issues, issues of mental illness have not been talked about. They have been sort of swept under the carpet, uh, even even up to a few years ago. But more and more people are having conversations about the normalcy of mental health struggles. Uh, and as we have said before, it is unusual for a human being to go through the lifespan without some sort of emotional uh, disruption or mental illness. Uh, and when you start talking like that, you actually normalize that. You actually have families reflecting on the issue of, yeah, you know, it's been in my family. We've managed it. It didn't define my family. And my family is stronger for facing that and, and addressing the issues of the illness. Um, and so it is always important, uh, Mental Health Month in May. It's always important to sort of shout from the rooftops that treatment works uh, and that our interventions are interventions that really help people, that chronic, if you look at all chronic illnesses and diseases, the best percentage recovery rates by the CDC are mental illness, better than uh, diabetes, etc. So when you have those conversations, when you celebrate people who have lived with mental illness and come through and survived and can tell their stories, those stories are such a boost for those people who might be in the middle of the struggle. And so this event on May the 19th, uh, all of virtual, I really wish it wasn't, but we're still in virtual land, um, you know, is another celebration of humankind's ability to address this illness like any other and reduce any of the stigma that, are, that comes with mental illness that goes back for centuries. I think we've come a long way. Yeah, we're excited to do the first event and then you know parlay this into a, an annual occurrence, which there is an in-person event and perhaps expand it as well. But for this year, it is Mental Health Matters, uh, time to talk and time uh, to listen, and we're really looking forward to that. Let's introduce our guest. Yes, well, thanks, and um, welcome, Lee Lopes, who Thank is you. our Director of Community and Staff Relation, Relations. Um, thank you so much for coming uh, on the program, and I think it's a real opportunity for us to talk a little bit about the value of our community presence. Um, you know, a lot of agencies like ours just sort of sort of settle with this idea of being a uh, an agency that provides services for state reimbursement and we have a lot of conversations about if you decide that you are going to just be insular like that and just rely on state dollars you'll always be reasonably miserable because because the rates that we get are not uh, are not the best and you can either say you can either complain about that 
which we do. Or you can actually do something about it. And Lee, you are a uh, integral pers- person in getting uh, the word out about Bamsey and beginning to have conversations with our community about the work we do and how people can, can get involved in that. And oftentimes that parlays, doesn't it, into people's interest in Bamsey. Uh, it parlays into the idea of giving and being uh, part of you know, part of the future of Bamsey. So um, that's a really long intro. <laughs> but just tell us a little bit about your responsibilities within the agency. And I, I know that you are well known throughout the agency and outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been with Bamsey for about six and a half years. And, you know, my role here really is to um, connect the community um, and our staffs with opportunities, um, fundraising or volunteering that are happening throughout um, BAMSI. So we have um, had a lot of events in the past and are looking forward to this virtual event, which I have to say, um, just this week we actually had Jordan's Furniture come on as a sponsor. So I just wanted to mention Excellent. that. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, but also, you know, we um, look to have a way to connect with the community. And for us, that really um, moving forward is going to be um, involved with volunteers. Um, we haven't had a formal volunteer program in the past. We've certainly have provided opportunities informally, but we are really working with programs to see where there is a need. Um, and how we can build that and work with these programs to bring in this resource. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, volunteers, in my opinion, are really the backbone of any nonprofit organization. They provide an invaluable resource. They come in, they are longtime partners, they are friends, they are donors. Um, and I think that bringing what they have to offer to BAMSI is really exciting for the future. Yeah, there's a phrase that you know I heard John McCain say all the time when he was running for president that's serve a cause greater than your own self-interest. And that was one of um, you know, the things that he lived by. And I think that each human being like has that intrinsic desire to serve a cause greater than their own self-interest. And that can mean a whole bunch of different things. It could mean serving in the military. It could mean um, you know volunteering as a, a youth sports coach. Um, but for many, they want to serve in organizations like ours, and they just don't know the opportunities exist. Um, and once they find out, they are really engaged and, and take ownership of that volunteer aspect of things and build things out to a completely new dimension. And I think that that's part of what Peter was talking about before in our outwards projection, in that if you don't know that they're, you're there, um, people aren't going to uh, to come. And if you don't, they don't know what the story is, they're not going to want to be engaged and see it as a cause that is you know beneficial of their their time. So let's start with that. Well, and then we'll work into uh, Brown Bag, which is an awesome, awesome event that we do. Um, and we'll talk a little more about the Mental Health Matters piece. So let's start off with a discussion about the volunteer opportunities that exist here at BAMZ and, and how individuals can uh, become engaged. Um, so like I said, you know, right now we have kind of worked for years and years um, with an informal volunteer process and program. Um, there are many opportunities um, that have kind of come about throughout the years that have been not necessarily publicized. So 
as we work towards really developing this formal program, we're looking forward to kind of putting together a laundry list of things that people can really get involved with um, that are going to benefit the program and move our organization in you know the right direction. So. Um, currently, we have the Brown Bag Opportunity, which is our kind of number one volunteer opportunity, I'll say, um, which is a wonderful, wonderful program that is run um, through our Dorn Davies Senior Center every third Thursday of the month. Um, we get together at Teen Challenge um, in their big auditorium. They are letting us use their space, which is really great and helps when we are faced with difficult weather. Um, so the Greater Boston Food Bank comes on that third Thursday and delivers the food. It's about 11,000 plus pounds of food. And we get the volunteers, they unload the truck, they pack the brown bags, and then we have volunteers that deliver it to low-income seniors in Brockton and in the surrounding towns. So it's a huge effort, um, but every month it comes together and everyone really enjoys it, um, and everyone really enjoys being a part of it. Can I just say, she made reference to it comes together and just sort of <laughs> passed that off. If it wasn't for you, it would not come together. You, the work that you've done on that is just remarkable, and um, you know, it 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 feels so good. I mean, the delivery of the food, and and you know, one of the things that uh, that I worry about a lot in our communities is the loneliness that we that we sort of come across when we're mm -hmm. delivering that food. And, and uh, I know we've spoken about this before that uh, you know it, it it is really in terms of social determinants of health, loneliness is a massive cause of uh, of mortality in this country that nobody's talking about, and that does give our volunteers the opportunity not only to you know have a bit of a workout at seven o'clock in the morning <laughs> yes um, and but also to meet some of those folks and engage them in conversations although we're not supposed to because of covid but but really just sort of check in on people and see how they're doing it's just a really wonderful experience yeah with covid it's been you know this program was done internally at the senior center um, many, many years ago, BAMZ employees and volunteers used to help out with that, but that kind of went internally to their program. So now that we've had this opportunity throughout COVID to move it outside um, of the program and really bring in employees, donors, um, community members, even board of directors, and really, you know, let them have an opportunity to give back to the community in this way, um, it's been it's been really nice. Big shout out to the board as well because yeah. we do have two or three, maybe sometimes four, maybe. Yeah, we've yeah, had quite a bit. Yeah. Six actually at one time. Yeah, yeah so which is so wonderful, and yeah. they're completely blown away by it. And and I know they work really hard when they come down as well. Mm -hmm. But really, that's the idea, isn't it? You know, tell tell a friend about it because uh, it feels it, it's just a great feeling. And if people want to be involved in that. Can you give them a sort of Absolutely. direction? Um, so it's every third Thursday of the month, and they can um, feel free to contact me, and we'll put you on the distribution list um, that goes out for registration. Um, so the best way to reach me is my email, which is lee, L-E-I-G-H, Lopes, L-O-P-E-S, at bamsey.org. We mentioned earlier um, the plans to uh, have a more um, structured volunteer approach. Where do things sit in, in regards to, to that, and what are the, um, the plans to have a, a more structured aspect of volunteerism within the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think, and Lee, chime in, definitely, but we're, I think, you know, we are recognizing the power of volunteerism. Think of Gillette Stadium when you see that big yeah. sign. <laughs> uh, and, and it really is about creating opportunities, because I think 
Personally, I think that people want to volunteer, but they don't know how to do it and they don't know what to do. So the idea of putting things in front of them, I think of uh, Giving Tuesday or you know some of those events. Um, I know the United Way have that day of giving and you know that sort of thing where you say you identify a task to do. And in the past, uh, I think we've um, engaged people in landscaping or painting. But also those are the one, one and dones, but the real ones are those people who on a regular basis are coming into the agency, maybe working with some of our persons served. So it's really a question of putting a curricula together for mm. people, right, with the hope that people get engaged on a long term. And by the way, one and done is fine too, because some of the work that gets done in, in, in those projects is, is fantastic. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work um, with a lot of nonprofits and volunteer programs um, throughout the country, actually. And, you know, every time I have an opportunity to do a project with volunteers, it always amazes me um, how hardworking they are and how this is really an in for the organization for them once they kind of are Mm -hmm. hooked and they see the good work that we're doing and the good work that they can do um, we always end up being able to generally develop a relationship and you know they come back not only as volunteers you know continuously but you know can turn into donors or bring other people into our organization which is huge yeah I think you know there's always that challenge of figuring out where the the paid employment ends, the volunteerism begins for certain positions. But, um, you know, I think that when you think about certain aspects of volunteerism, whether it's coming in and reading, you know, with person served or um, different types of athletics or painting classes and things of, of that nature, um, you know, certainly in we're all hoping for a post-COVID environment, um, uh, you can certainly see those types of relationships um, building moving forward in, in addition to having kind of the, the structured uh, aspect. Somebody comes in and does yoga um, mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, you know, I've noticed from going um, into some of our facilities over the last uh, couple of weeks is that just how encouraging and friendly um, and home-like the environments are. And uh, it, it feels at times, you know, like uh, even better than my college door. Um, and <laughs> I don't want to talk about in a lot it. Of, in a lot of ways, actually. Um, but, yeah, the, the type of meals that are given, the opportunities, the structure, um, and, you know, the home aspect of things. And kind of adding to, to that and seeing like where we can fit in different painting classes or yoga or whatever. That's certainly an opportunity for, uh, for volunteerism in addition to having maybe a more you know, structured uh, approach. So how do you bridge that gap, Peter, between um, where the, uh, the paid aspect ends and the volunteer begins? Because whenever, you know, certainly some people start to hear volunteers, they're like, okay, are these people going to come in and replace my jobs? And that, that, your thoughts on that? Absolutely not. Right. Uh, I mean, the whole idea of volunteerism is uh, supplementing mm-hmm. uh, with a specific skill. I think that's great. We, we also had um, a while ago in our other agency had someone come in and help people do their taxes, for instance, mm-hmm. things, things that are over and above the day-to-day uh, activities that we're, uh, that we're paying people to do. So, um, and, you know, rule number one of volunteerism is you never, ever have somebody alone doing the work, uh, doing that work day-to-day. Um, so, no, this is really about... Uh, specific skills or a specific task, but uh, ratios would never be altered by that. Uh, 
it really is just sort of uh, improving the lives of people, both the person serve the staff as well because they're really busy, uh, and of course the person who's volunteering. And you know, just a quick story. But when we were doing um, Brambag about two or three months ago, um, somebody who was volunteering was in a very complicated job in. Uh, working uh, in in Boston, and uh, the job was really, really complicated. And this person said to me, what I love about this activity is there's a beginning, <laughs> there's a middle, and there's an end, and I feel fulfilled. And I thought, yeah, I get, I get that completely. And, and doing something like the brand pack is just so contained with, with an outcome, which is just so wonderful, and I would recommend it to anybody. That's a really good point, because very often, you know, when... I will volunteer or the people volunteer like you don't know exactly what you're getting into and you're hesitant because of what it could be like and so you you know you don't know how long the meetings are going to be if you have something where it's it's very structured and you know exactly what you're going to do what your expectations are how long it's going to last and you get to feel good about it that's a huge win in any scenario having that type of of structure I want to get back to the brown bag for just a little bit because I assume that most people listening to the podcast know exactly what it is, but um, if you could kind of break it down for for folks that don't know what it is and have just kind of gotten an upshot sort of of, of what it is, um, what is it, A, and, and B, when is the next uh, event taking place? Sure. So the BAMSI Brad Bag Program is a food distribution program. Um, we have the truck come from the Greater uh, Boston Food Bank, and they come and deliver 11,000-plus pounds of food off of the truck. Um, from there, our volunteers are able to unload the truck. We kind of set up an assembly line where we go down the assembly line with our brown bags, hence the, the program name, and we pack these bags, um, and then we reload them back up on our trucks, and we deliver them to a couple of the low-income housing um, housing buildings here in Brockton. And then we also have a couple of other towns that come in and they pick up their own brown bags for mm -hmm. their own community and they distribute it as well. So it's a uh, day-long process for sure. It's a lot of food to pack. Um, but, you know, at the end, the people are so grateful. Um, it's really something to be seen. And to see how the volunteers really kind of go down that line and get everything packed. We all figure out how to pack the bag the right way, whether the heavy stuff <laughs> on the bottom. There's always a rhyme or reason. You just want um, to avoid the frozen food. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the frozen food is a little tough. Um, or when we get eggs, that uh -huh. also is a little tough. But um, it really does come together. So is the next one this Thursday? It is this Thursday, yeah. every third Thursday of the month. Okay, yep. cool. Um, so let's transition into the May event, which is um, Mental Health Matters. And this is you know, the first time that Bamsey's done an event of this nature. Uh, May is Mental Health uh, Awareness Month. And um, I am really excited about this. And Lee's done an amazing job in, in putting this together. And she mentioned uh, the Jordan's Furniture Sponsorship. Lee uh, secured the Jordan's uh, Furniture <laughs> Sponsorship. So congratulations. <laughs> Uh, on that, and we're looking forward to uh, partnering with um, with Bob Sosi in addition to um, some other things yet to be announced on uh, on that side of things as well. So uh, take us through what it's going to be, what it's going to encompass, and um, what the uh, collaborative process has been like in in bringing this together with different aspects of uh, of Bamsey um, coming together and playing a role to um, get it together. Yeah, so this is going to be an hour-long uh, Zoom event um, that we're also hoping to live stream, I believe, on Facebook. 
And, you know, we're aimed at really increasing um, the willingness to discuss and engage and find commonality um, of mental health awareness. So we have four to five panelists that are um, folks who have really um, diverse stories um, of their um, personal journey with mental um, health awareness and mental health um, they have, you know, a connection with BAMZ. Most of them are either peer specialist or work at some of our programs, um, but all very knowledgeable and really inspiring. And, you know, we're hoping to really get people to participate and to join us on this Zoom call and to partake in asking questions and um, hearing what they have to say. Yeah, the question answer part is going to be, um, in my view, a really part of this because we're going to have kind of a, a byplay and inter interchange between um, individuals who may want to uh, speak as a result of what's uh, taken place and we're looking forward to having uh, Bob Sosi bring things together as uh, the host of this uh, as well. Um, Peter, you know, to me one of the major parts of tackling uh, the stigma surrounding mental health is to have as many people as possible telling their stories. And um, with one person telling a story, it kind of triggers things in other folks about themselves or their parents or their families. And a whole dialogue starts to occur. And going to bring it back to the beginning, COVID has created an environment where we have all had the, um, while separate, the shared experience of being separate. And uh, with that has come various uh, mental health challenges that everyone can relate to. And in that has created more conversation and dialogue. So I think you're right in that this time period has created a uh, conversation about mental health. The challenge has been um, there's been an, a tremendous amount of outreach for mental health care, but the mental health professionals um, are not necessarily available and um, that's been a, a major challenge. And I was hoping you could address that a little bit. And, you know, we are, as many organizations, kind of trying to, to figure out how, where to go in the future, providing that aspect of mental health care. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it begins with parity or the lack thereof. Um, and certainly this has been a conversation that's been going on for decades. And I was illustrated by the fact that if you're in a hospital and you open a cardiac cath lab, you get... 10 times per square foot the revenue you get from a psychiatric unit. Uh, both of those organs are pretty important, the brain and the heart, but for some reason we're not paying enough attention to the brain. By continuing to have these conversations and seeing mental illness and mental health in the context of the whole body, it's really interesting because what you realize is the investments that we make in the brain have payoff in the rest of the body. Correct. So if you look at co-occurring disorders, the, the cost of those uh, of treatment is massive on the medical side, but the cost of treatment on the mental health side is a lot cheaper. And if you get that right, you're going to get better, uh, better outcomes physically for people as well. It's how we tell that story, Chris, in my opinion. And if we tell it from the shadows, and if we tell it in terms of, look, let's not talk about this, you know, it's a little bit like breast cancer when, when you know, we were addressing that issue in the 1970s. People just didn't talk about it. Now we talk about it. Now we're, we're normalizing it. And now we're getting investment in a 
in a quality-based health system that says this isn't this is all about outcomes now mm. i'm suddenly realizing that treatment for your mental illness actually has has really good outcomes on the physical side wait a minute as we move to you know these sort of outcome-based uh, quality measures we've got to treat the whole person and i think we're in this amazing optimistic uh, place now where we've all been exposed, I think, to what a lot of what a smaller amount of people have been exposed to in terms of depression. Mm-hmm. And let's be real; let's call it what it is. I think people uh, people have struggled with low-level depression over the last year, perhaps in ways that they wouldn't have been because of the situational um, the the, find, the the place they find themselves. This is an opportunity for us to keep talking about that, keep pushing. There's one huge piece that has to be addressed, in my view, in order to achieve that power. Actually, there's many, but the biggest piece, in my view, is that, um, and you just described it a bit there, the warm handoff that will occur between a person that is suffering from heart disease or a broken bone exists, in that there is a lot of money to be made in treating the heart or in treating cancer or in treating... Um, you know, a knee injury, and that's, there's no fault in that, uh, in my view. Um, the challenge that occurs with a person that is suffering from mental illness is that there is not a warm handoff because the, the money is not there, and many organizations will have a, um, a person that specializes in the heart or in um, various other aspects of, of physical health. So how does that change where... Um, person comes in their PCP and they're saying ah, my heart is my heart is racing okay what we're going to do is we're going to send you the cardiologist and they're going to do this amount of tests and they say oh, I have I have mental um, I'm having you know uh, suicidal thoughts and they're like okay well why don't you call this outside organization and and I can try to call over there but they're going to say oh we have you know we don't have enough uh, clinicians so how does that environment change because it would appear that there needs to be more money invested or a outcome uh, not an outcome based scenario in order for there to be that parity so I think there's three issues there and I bet you I forget the third one by the time we get there but the first one in my opinion is uh, is the whole parity issue it's workforce you know we have to persuade people that they can make a living coming into behavioral health rather than ending up having to get two jobs um, you know to support their family and pay the rent so we need we need to advocate on on that side of of the fence. We also have to address the issue of stigma and and these and, and allow people to have conversations, you know, um, with each other. And finally, I think the issue is as we move to value based care, which which is this whole thing of integrating. That we're not just then sort of making encounters of care what we're doing is we're making interventions that make people well that on a value-based scheme make behavioral health interventions so much more valuable than if they're if they're separated out so this bringing together of whole health whole person care is a real opportunity for us to bring that specialty in-house and to and to have it a spoke in the hub of humanity this idea that yes this is a treatment just like a treatment for diabetes or, or high blood pressure, whatever, and the outcomes are remarkable for you. And that, that movement, we're moving in that way with accountable care organizations, with this whole federal um, move to integrate primary care with behavioral health. And we want a seat at that table because we have that uh, expertise. Yeah. yeah, and in conclusion on that as well, I was talking with Lynn Ann Palmer, who's a clinician in 
New Hampshire. And one of the challenges that exists is that um, you know, if you are a, uh, if you have the ability to practice in one state or another based upon the uh, appropriate licensing, um, you can just practice in that state. And there is the an inability to cross state lines mm-hmm. unless you are licensed in that state. So in an environment where there is, um, you know, so much of a focus on telehealth at this point and utilizing a digital interface, that would need to change. And how does that work from a state licensing perspective? Can the federal government come in and say, um, no, you just have to have a U.S. license? How does, how does that work? Oh, I'm going to have a federalist conversation. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I mean, that in some ways... We're, the United States is a, a very strong country because of the power of the states right. and, their, and their ability to devolve responsibility to the states. And I think that's cool. But there are some things that make it very different. You know, in, in another country, let's pick on Britain, for instance. Um, always enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, it's picking on Britain. Yeah, yeah. you're always doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you work for the National Health Service, you can work anywhere from Land's End to John O'Groats. I say it's the other way around. Uh, that's the whole stretch of the country, by the way, everybody. Um, and there are, and you're not, you're not hindered by that. We need in this country to really look at that and say, you know, does it does it really matter where you are, and why don't we have some standards that we can all a- agree upon? Because Massachusetts, New Hampshire, um, it. it it's not that different. It's the same standards, but we have to have that equivalence. Personally, I think that restraint is a restraint of trade. Uh, and now with telehealth, you're absolutely right. We need to change those laws. Well, Lee, we'll get back to you now. And on, <laughs> on the mental health matters, um, what should folks know if they're uh, interested in this event? Obviously, we have some more details about this over the next uh, couple of weeks as we get closer to the event. But um, what should folks know in the short term? Yeah, we are um, putting together some material for it, and we'll be um, setting up the registration link and be putting that out on our website, uh, www.bamsey.org, and on our Facebook page. So stay tuned. That's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. That is Lee Lopes along with Peter Evers. I am Chris Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us for Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. Have a great rest of the day, everybody.